you want to know where to turn in your Bible, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 5. The question before us today is this. Why does a good and sovereign God allow Christians to experience trials? If God really is sovereign, as his word tells us over and over again, then can't he arrange our lives so that everything will go smoothly and comfortably? If God really loves us, wouldn't he want us to, you know, avoid the pain and turmoil that trials cause? And if God has commanded us, commissioned us, sent us to do certain things in his service, why wouldn't he make us immediately successful when we attempt to do those things? I think these are huge questions that every Christian is going to have to face at some point. Every Christian at some point is going to say, okay, I've trusted in God. I've, I've given my, my life to him and I know that I have Christ's righteousness. And so, you know, I have eternal life. I'm going to heaven. And so now everything's going to be okay until it isn't, <laughs> until things begin to get hard and not just like a little hard, but sometimes things get really hard, like unbearably hard. Health issues, persecution, relational issues. And we say, why would God let this happen? God, am I not doing what you've called me to do? Am I not your child? Do you not love me? Are you not faithful? Are you not strong enough? Every Christian is going to have to ask these questions at some point in their life. And the way you answer those questions, or better yet, the way you let God answer those questions, will dictate how you respond when trials come upon you. I mean, inwardly and outwardly, it will dictate the way that you respond when trials come upon you. I think about inwardly. If you don't know for sure that God is good and sovereign, in control, loving you, then you're not going to have much hope, peace, or joy in the midst of the trial. It's all going to be lost based on your circumstances. And outwardly, our responses will be very different. Whether we continue in faithfulness, continue in obedience, continue praising our great God. We need to know how to answer these questions, how a good and sovereign God, why a good and sovereign God would allow trials in our lives and allow us to experience failure. And we'll see this today in the life of, of Moses and Aaron and Israel. And I, I kind of want to get you caught up uh, to where we are here uh, at Exodus 5. So far, we have Israel in Egypt. They took refuge there back in a, a famine 400 years ago. They've since become slaves in Egypt. And the, the Pharaoh there was trying to, to kill children. But one of the children who escaped Pharaoh's uh, murder is Moses. He is brought up in Pharaoh's household. Ironic. Then at some, one point he has to flee to the, the wilderness of Midian. And there at 80 years of age, God comes to him and says, Moses, I have seen what's happening to my people there in Egypt, and I'm going to, to bring them out. And Moses, of course, says, yes. And God says, and I'm going to send you. Moses says, no. I mean, that's really what we see happen in uh, chapters 3 and 4, is Moses just saying, like, God, I like your idea. I just don't like your plan because I don't think I can do these things. I don't think I can fit in this. And so Moses asks, who am I to go? God says, I'll be with you. Moses says, well, who are you that you can empower me to be successful on this mission? Well, that's, that's Exodus uh, 3 and 4, and Moses finally does go. God finally does convince him. He goes down to Egypt to face his first hurdle. You remember he says, 
the people of Israel won't listen to me. They won't believe that God appeared to me and told me to come down here and to bring them out. They won't believe me. That's the first hurdle. And we saw uh, two weeks ago at the end of chapter 4, the people hear, they listen, they believe, and they actually bow and worship God because they're so excited about this redemption. Moses didn't think that could happen. He thought, surely the people will not listen to me. But boom, here it is. They've listened. Now, all I've got left to do is go to Pharaoh and, you know, tell him, hey, we're, we're getting out of here. Bye. And if this went so well with the Israelites, surely it will go well with Pharaoh also. Smooth sailing from here on out, right? As we'll see in just a moment as we read uh, through chapter 5, Moses and Israel are about to experience anything but smooth sailing. There's this initial victory that gets Moses' confidence up, but he is about to face tremendous failure and trial. And, and what we want to answer today is why. Why would God allow such failure, such trial on the way to triumph? Let's read together chapter 5, chapter 5 of Exodus. <clears throat> I have it up there on the screen, but you can follow along in your Bibles as well. It says this, afterward, this is after Moses and Aaron have talked to the people of Israel. They have bowed and worshiped. They're, they're excited about this deliverance. So afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet you say to us, make bricks and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, Pharaoh said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when, when they said, you shall no mean, by no means reduce your number, number of bricks, your daily task each day. They, the foremen of the people of Israel, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. 
Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. That is God's word. That's chapter 5. We'll pick up in chapter 6 a little later. But these are some tremendous trials that came upon Moses, that came upon Israel. I mean, is God not watching over them? Did God not send Moses? Why would God let this happen? That's what we'll aim to answer as we study God's word today. But if you'll join me again for a word of prayer, we we need God for this. Father God, we are in desperate need of your fatherly counsel right now. God, we don't need to understand everything, but it would be helpful to understand why you would let Israel go through these trials when you chose them and loved them. It would be helpful to understand why you let Moses experience these failures when it's you who sent him. And God, our, our, our desire to have these questions answered is far more than academic because we experience the same thing. We know that we have been chosen by you. We are infinitely loved by you. You do send us to do your glorious work on this earth, and yet we face trials, setbacks, failures. God, would you help us? God, would you help us so that we can remain faithful to you? God, would you help us so that we can continue to serve you with joy no matter what comes upon us? I pray that you do this through your word and through your spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. In chapter five, we've seen, I kind of break it down to four different trials that happen. I'll just list those. First, Pharaoh rejected Moses' demand. (laughs) Who is the Lord? I don't know your Lord, and I'm not gonna send you guys out. Then Pharaoh increased the burden on the Israelites. Go and make your bricks, but you'll no longer be provided with straw. And we see the people out there gathering stubble instead of straw just to try to make their bricks. The the straw held the bricks together. And when they couldn't do it, we come to the third trial, the Israelite foremen were beaten for it. When when the foremen go to Pharaoh and say, why have you done this? He say, it's because you're lazy. You're listening to, to that man's lies, Moses and Aaron, you're listening to their lies. That's why you want to go out to the Egypt to worship your God is because you're lazy. The reason you're being beaten, the reason these extra burdens are upon you is because of what Moses and Aaron have done. And then the final trial is the Israelites complain and blame Moses. And if you remember back in uh, chapters three and four, this was uh, Moses' greatest fear. Basically, his greatest fears are unraveling before him. Pharaoh didn't do what, what, what I uh, requested, and now the Israelites have turned their back on me again, just like 40 years previously they had done. And so the question that we see uh, with Moses there at the, the end of chapter 5 is, God, why? Why have you only done evil to this people, the the Israelites. Why did you even send me? Why are things getting worse instead of better when I'm doing what you told me to do? This is where some of us are, maybe even today, but surely we've been there before. God, why would you let this happen? Today, I want to show you three reasons from the text why God allowed these trials to come upon them. And I would say there are more of them. These were just the ones that um, stuck out to me that I I want to show you and um, that I've seen happen in my own life through trials. And and these are the three that have really helped me uh, remain faithful to God now when trials come upon me because I've learned these lessons. And so I want to share these 
uh, with you from God's word. So here's the first thing that God is doing in trials. Sorry I didn't keep up with the slides. I thought I did. Number one, trials teach full obedience to God. Trials teach full obedience to God. This may be surprising to you because you'd say, well, what, Moses did it. Right? He went down to Egypt, he, he went to, to the elders of Israel, he talked to them, then he went to Pharaoh. I mean, is that not full obedience? Actually, no, it, it wasn't. And, and that's what I want to show you is while Moses did obey in some ways, yeah, he, he sure did, it was partial obedience. It was incomplete obedience. He did not strictly heed the word of God. He did not strictly obey all that God had commanded in this situation. And so what I believe is that trials come upon us. I believe this, these trials come upon uh, Moses so that he would take stock of his life, take stock of his obedience before God. Because I don't know about you, but when things go sideways, well, when I'm feeling really proud, I say, who did this to me? You know, <laughs> whose fault is this? But normally, uh, when God has me in the right place, I say, okay, what, what am I doing wrong? What, what's, what's God trying to reveal to me? And by the way, I think that even if Moses and Aaron had perfectly obeyed God, that Pharaoh still would have rejected them and still would have increased the burdens and still beaten the taskmaster. I, I think those things still would have happened. But I think that this trial was an opportunity for Moses and Aaron to check themselves before God. Because, oh, that's not it. Sorry, I'll back up. Because God wants us to be fully obedient to him, fully submitted to him. So let me show you just three different ways that we see incomplete obedience uh, with Moses and Aaron. God had given the command uh, back in chapter 318. So if you, if you want, you can flip back and forth or you can just look at it on the screen uh, where I have these compared. So you have in 318 what God told Moses to do. In chapter 5, we have what Moses actually does, okay? And the first thing we see is that he didn't obey with the messengers to Pharaoh. In chapter 318, God says this, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt. So you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt. What do we see happen in Exodus 5.1? Afterward, after they met with the elders of Israel in chapter 4, afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh. Hmm. They were told to take the elders of Israel with them, but they, they went alone. It's a small thing, right? It's a small, you know, just kind of barely missed the mark. But it, but it was incomplete. It's partial obedience. They were told to do something and they did otherwise. The next thing we see is the attitude that they brought. The attitude with which they delivered the message of God. Again, in chapter 318, God says, Say to him, say to Pharaoh, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. So there's this humility and there's this request that they're supposed to make. Now please let us go. That, that's a request from a humble attitude. But look at what they actually say in Exodus 5.1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went, to, went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. I hope you see the difference there. My, my wife and I, you know, we're, we're up to three kids now, and we're trying to train our older two children the difference between a request and a demand. Because <laughs> there is a big difference. More water! Honey, that's not how we talk <laughs> to mom or daddy. C can I have some more water, please? There you go. Good job. You know, like... There's a big difference in the attitude between a please let us go and God says, let us go. The attitude is different. And the third thing I want to show you, by the way, there are more differences, but this is just the three main ones that I wanted to point out. They added content to the message that God had given them. 
I put question marks up top because I don't have a cross-reference because God does not say the things that they say. Exodus 5.3. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go. Now they've turned to please. Now that Pharaoh rejected them in verse 2. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Here we go. Lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. They, they act like God had threatened them. Like God had said, hey, you better get out of Egypt and go make these sacrifices, or you Israelites are going to be in big trouble. Is that how the dialogue had gone between God and Moses? Did God say, I'm angry at the Israelites, so they better sacrifice to me or I'm going to fall upon them? No, that's the way the Egyptian gods acted maybe, but not Yahweh God. He looked on, upon them with compassion. It wasn't to keep them from punishment that they needed to go sacrifice. It was God working to free them. They added content to the message. They thought, okay, you know what would be smart is if we, we kind of put this leverage on Pharaoh, you know, and say, you know, you'll lose your, your slave force if you don't let us go anyway, because God's going to fall upon us with pestilence and sword. You know, he's, he's threatening us. But God did not say that. And that's why I've got question marks up there because God just never said it. They added content to God's message. And so while there was some obedience, incomplete obedience is still disobedience. Can I get an amen, parents? You put your shirt on, but not your shorts. Like that's not enough for us to go to the grocery store. I said, put your clothes on. Incomplete obedience is still disobedience. And there's another principle, a little disobedience soon turns into a lot of disobedience. If we are allowed to walk in disobedience, friends, and by the way, again, this translates to children again. If we allow disobedience, it will create more disobedience. And so God treats us as children because he's a loving father. And he says, I'm not going to let your, your, your disobedience continue. I'm not gonna let it turn into lots and lots of disobedience in your life. I'm not going to let it become bigger and more great sins. And so God allows trials in the life of Moses and Aaron. He just allows them to fall flat on their face with this first attempt before Pharaoh. God is giving them an opportunity to analyze their lives, to take stock of their obedience or lack of it. And by the way, just remember, God is not punishing them. God is disciplining them as a loving father that trains up his children. What's interesting is the lesson seems to have had its effect. The, the very next time we see God uh, give Moses and Aaron a command. It's in Exodus chapter seven. So today we're looking at five and six. Um, in chapter seven, God will give them a command and this is what it says they did, how they responded. Uh, Exodus seven, verse six, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. No more partial obedience, no more incomplete obedience, no more adding to what God said to do or not doing what God said to do when they feel that it would work better. They did so. God said it and they did so. They did just as the Lord commanded. Through this trial of falling flat on their face with their partial obedience, God trained them. God taught them to obey. And let me tell you something, this is a good thing. I need to learn to obey God better. I need to learn to submit every area of my life to God. I need to learn that my wisdom is not greater than God's wisdom. So when he commands something, it is better than what I might think is, is best. And Hebrews 12, 11 says this, I love it. For the moment, all discipline seemed painful rather than pleasant. That's the trial but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There, there's a peace that comes from trials because all our circumstances get better? No, because we learn obedience to God. We learn full obedience to God, not partial, not complete 
incomplete obedience. We learn full obedience to God, and that brings this peaceful fruit of righteousness in and through our lives. This is good news. This is a good and loving father. You say, how, how could a sovereign and good God let trials come upon us? Well, God's, God's teaching full obedience to his children because he loves you. If God is not teaching you full obedience, you're not his child. Hebrews 12 makes that very clear. This is the first thing we learn from this passage. God is teaching full obedience. But there is more that we should learn from this episode and I wonder if any of these have dawned on you. I'm always curious. <laughs> I could take a um, show of hands, but I won't. I, I want to show you the next thing that I see God is teaching them through this trial. Trials teach letting God set our expectations. I'm king at setting my own expectations. I, I'm very good at saying, I'm going to do things this way. I'm going to come home and this is what my evening is going to look like and things are going to be smooth and comfortable. But trials teach us to let God set our expectations instead of setting our, expect our expectations by what we hope or wish might happen. From Exodus uh, chapter 5, one thing seems for certain in the text. No one saw these trials coming. Not Moses, not Aaron, not the Israelites, not the foreman. They all seem to have expected that, that Moses and Aaron would go to Pharaoh and that he would just be like, here, let, let me, let me you know, help you guys out of here to go worship God. Yeah, sure. Moses and Aaron seem shocked by Pharaoh's harsh response. Again, their demand quickly turns to a, a humble, almost pleading request. Please, Pharaoh, let us go. The Israelites are bewildered and enraged by the additional bur burdens and beatings that have come upon them because of what Moses and Aaron have done. Their actions before Pharaoh have caused Pharaoh to treat them harshly, and they're just beside themselves. God, judge between you and us. Like, they're, they're saying, God's going to judge you guys for what you've done. And by the time we get to Moses' prayer at the end of chapter 5, it's quite clear that he is completely in despair and in, in disillusioned with God. For a little while, he thought highly of God. Wow, God made the Israelites listen to me. But then he goes to Pharaoh and everything comes crumbling down. And he starts saying, well, maybe God's not so great. God, why have you brought this evil upon your people? Why did you even send me? He's disillusioned. He did not see this coming. Again, maybe this has happened in your lives, by the way, as well. Um, you know, we try to obey God. We try to follow his commands, even when it's difficult for us. We say, okay, I'm going to train up my children in the Lord. I'm going to have awkward conversations with them. I'm going to try to help them and discipline them. Yet they're still rebelling. They're still disobeying. They're not trusting Christ. They're not obeying Christ. God, why did you even bother giving me kids and setting me over these kids if, if this isn't going to work? Maybe you've tried to encourage fellow Christians, and rather than be encouraged by what you say, they get annoyed by what you say. Man, I thought that that was part of what a Christian is supposed to do, is help one another make it to the promised land, but they're not responding very well, my, my fellow Christian. Or maybe... You've, you've tried to share the gospel with a coworker, you know, a friend, uh, coworker there. And instead of them trusting in Jesus for their salvation, they reject the gospel and reject you. They sever the friendship. And so you say, well, we're worse off than we were before I tried to share the gospel with them, before I tried to do what God has told me to do. Maybe you've been there and maybe you've been disillusioned, just like Moses and said, why? Why did you let this happen, God? Why did you bother sending me? Now, the, the question I want to ask for, for your reflection is, do you think the problem is with God or with us? Do, do you think the problem is that God is too weak or too unloving, too uncaring? Or could it be that we simply have wrong expectations of what God is going to do and the way God is going to allow things to happen? 
See, we can take Moses and Aaron and the Israelites for, for a very clear example. Had God promised them that they would have an easy triumph over Pharaoh and Egypt? Had God promised that to them? Go to him and he'll let you go. He'll send you on your way. No, God had not promised that at all. In fact, God had promised the exact opposite would happen. We can see it in Exodus 3. I kind of uh, begin with verse 16 there. Nope. Why isn't it moving? Yep, there we go. Exodus 3, beginning in verse 16, God's commanding Moses to do this. Go and gather, gather the elders of Israel together. Verse 18, and they will listen to your voice, the elders. That happened, right? And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord, our God. Verse 19, here we go. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. Do you see what God has told Moses is going to happen? Pharaoh will not let you go unless he is compelled by a mighty hand. And so when he rejects you, that is when I'm going to stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And then, then, only then after that, he will let you go. So everyone is discouraged and disillusioned. Some are angry. Some are angry at Moses. Moses seems kind of angry at God. Why have you done this evil? But God is doing exactly what he said he was going to do. God tried to set their expectations, but Moses, I guess, chose not to listen. He chose to set his expectations based on his hopes, his dreams, his wishes, rather than by what God said. Now, I think about our own lives here. No, let me rewind <laughs> before, before I get to us. H how could things have been different uh, in, or sorry, in Egypt with the Israelites and with Moses had Moses let God set their expectations? I mean, would that have made any difference to let, to let God set their expectations? I, I think so. For starters, maybe Israel wouldn't be so angry at Moses and Aaron right now. You know, the, the, the persecution, the burdens would come upon them and they would say, well, this is just a part of the process. Trials come before triumph and we're now in, in the trial even thicker, even deeper. But that's okay. We knew this was going to happen. It's all good, Moses. We're still with you. I don't know. And we could say the same thing about Moses. Maybe if he had let God set his expectations instead of his hope setting his expectations, he wouldn't be so disappointed and disillusioned with God. Maybe he wouldn't want to give up so quickly. Because it's going to take God encouraging him over and over again in chapter 6 for he, him to even stay on this mission. He's ready to give up. Why? Because God did exactly what he said was going to happen, but he didn't listen. He didn't let God set his expectations. Now I can say this applies in our lives as well. I don't know how many times I've had trials come upon me and I'm just like so surprised by it. And God has promised triumph for us Christians. He has. We've got a good future, a great victory stored up for us, waiting for us, but it is stored up in heaven. And we are not in heaven yet, right? I expect God to, to make life right now heaven on earth. I expect him to make everything I do successful. I expect him to make me comfortable and healthy, never have financial struggles. I, I, I expect those things, but God did not set those expectations. <laughs> you look back at Genesis 3, that's where God puts the curse 
on planet Earth, on, on the cosmos, because of our sin. There will be enmity between uh, Satan and humanity. So there's going to be spiritual warfare going on. There will be uh, thorns and thistles that grow from the ground, kind of a curse just on all uh, planet stuff. By the sweat of your brow, you will make bread, right? Work will be hard, laborious, toilsome, Adam, and now Jeff. For, for marriages and things, what's it say? Um, it says, your desire will be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. There will be this marital strife that happens in this, this cursed world. And there will be pain through childbearing. I mean, just all these, God set the expectations right there in Genesis 3, right after the fall, that, hey, you ain't in paradise anymore. You've sinned against me, and that, that sin messes things up. And there is coming a day when God will make all our messes right and clean and great again. He will wipe away every tear. But we're not there yet, friends. We are still in a day where our bodies break down, where our children rebel, where our relationships mess up, where our jobs go sideways. Just We try to share the gospel and we get persecuted for it, just whatever. I love uh, what Peter says. I have no idea what my slide, what's going on with my slides. Anyway, I love what Peter says, chapter 4, verse 12 of 1 Peter. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. <laughs> Peter's saying, let God set your expectations. Jesus said trials would come. Paul says trials will come. Those who desire to live a godly life will face persecution. Jesus says, in this life you will have tribulation. But I have overcome the world. These are things that Jesus and Paul, and, and again, from Genesis 3, we've been promised. So don't be surprised. Let God set your expectation. Don't be surprised when the trials come upon you. But then verse 19, just a few verses down, it says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, God's good, loving, gracious will, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. When we know to expect trials, to expect tribulation, to expect persecution, to respect, expect failure and setbacks, we won't be surprised and we can continue to be faithful. We can entrust ourselves to a faithful creator while continuing to do good because things are going just as God said it would happen. It won't be that way forever and, and that, that gets us through. But this still leaves us with a glaring question, I believe. If, if we should let God set our expectations that trials will come before triumph, again, why does God want trials to come before triumph in our lives? Okay, it teaches us full obedience. We saw that. But is that it? You know, I mean, what about the times that we are fully committed, submitted, and obeying God? Why do trials still happen then? What else could God be doing? This is number three. Trials tangibly teach the glory of God. Trials tangibly teach the glory of God. In my walk with Christ, and I'm sure in your walk with Christ as well, I, I hope you have learned that there is a big difference between reading things about God in the Bible or in good books or whatever, there's a difference between knowing facts about God and experiencing those facts about God. There's a big difference between knowing God is strong and experiencing his strength in your life. Knowing God is faithful and experiencing his faithfulness in your life. Knowing God is glorious but then getting to see that glory put on display and high definition right before your very eyes. There is a big difference, and it's happened in my life, and I bet it's happened in your life, but I can almost guarantee you that didn't happen in the good times. I can almost guarantee you that the, the glory of God only really shone through when you were under pressure, when you were in the darkness, the, the, the valley of the shadow of death. That's, that's when you feel 
the good shepherd. And this is what's going on with Israel, with Moses. And that's what God's going to teach him here in chapter 6. Moses, you want to know why this failure has come upon you? Why you're in this trial? Because I want you to see my glory. I want you to tangibly experience my glory, not just know about it. This is what we'll see in chapter 6. You can follow along with me uh, in chapter 6. I'll just try to, again, hit the highlights here. There's so much good stuff, but verse 1 of chapter 6. But the Lord said to Moses, this is in response to his prayer, by the way. God, why have you let this happen? Why have you bothered sending me? But the Lord said to Moses, now, now that you're in the middle of this trial, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of this land. So in that that first verse, God's saying, you know, I've told you, Back in Genesis 3, you weren't listening, but I've told you what I'm going to do, that I'm going to set you free uh, in miraculous, mighty ways. I've told you that, but guess what? You're about to see that. Do you see that? Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. (laughs) You're going to get to see my glory put on display. And by the way, the, the end of that verse is kind of interesting. It's been kind of debated Is this the right translation? He will send them out. That means Pharaoh is going to send them out with a mighty hand. And it's kind of a a wordplay that God is pointing back to uh, Genesis 3 where he said, I will stretch out my mighty hand. He will not let them go unless he's compelled by a mighty hand. And the idea there is Pharaoh is going to use his mighty hand to hold on to Israel. But because God's mighty hand is mightier, Pharaoh's going to be using that, his same mighty hand to push him out the door. And we'll see that later, that Pharaoh will be like, get out, get your stuff and go, Israel. Instead, the same mighty hand that was holding on to Israel here in chapter 5, we're later going to see him use to push Israel out. This is going to be the glory of God put on display for Moses and for Israel. Verse 2 goes on. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Did I make that all caps? Yeah, I did. Okay, good. It changes it in the the font. That's Yahweh. We learned about this a few chapters ago. I am the Lord. That's Yahweh. I am who I am. He goes on to say, "Um, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. That's Elohim. But by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. Now, this, this is interesting. If you go back, and I had to do this as I studied, you know, if you go back in Genesis, th- uh, in the book of Genesis, they knew about the name Yahweh. They, they knew about God as Lord uh, in all caps, <laughs> the way we translate it. Um, they even like refer to God as Yahweh uh, a couple of times in the book of Genesis. But what God's saying here is, They knew about me as Yahweh, that I am who I am. I am absolute existence. They knew that about me, but I didn't make it known to them. Like I did not press it into their experience, into their hearts. You, Moses, you, Israel, you're about to see what it means for me to be I am. It goes on in verse 4 and following. He says, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians sold us, hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery, slavery to them. I love this. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Again, we see this same principle. God doesn't want this salvation to be little. 
God wants to put his glory on display by allowing Israel to get into such a tight, such a difficult, such an impossible situation that God's rescue mission will be all the more amazing. He says there, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. But that wouldn't happen unless they were in this trial. That wouldn't happen unless Pharaoh tightened his grip and afflicted them. And it wouldn't be unless they got in this situation that they would know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Kind of what's going on there is, is God saying, I'm going to make sure that, that I get the glory from this. I'm going to make sure that you know it was me and that you find your joy and your thankfulness and your gratitude in me. It won't be because of your strength, Moses. It won't be because of the might of Israel. I will show that they're super weak compared to Pharaoh. And I'm going to make sure you know it's not the compassion of Pharaoh that lets them go. No, no, no. I'm going to show you that he is crazy hard-hearted. It will be by my mighty hand. You'll know that I am the Lord who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This is a principle all through the Bible. I was talking with someone the other day. Was it you, Douglas, about uh, David and Goliath? Um, like, why would God let this giant come, you know, to, to, from, from the Philistines up to Israel? And they're all challenged and they're afraid. Like, but David makes it very plain. I'm, I'm going to kill you, Goliath, but it's not going to be me. I'm, I'm this young kid. I'm going to kill you, big, you know, 10 foot tall giant. And that is going to show that the battle is the Lord's. That is going to show all of Israel and all the world that God is glorious. And so to do that, God lets Israel get into that trial. And to do that, God sends a weak, you know, comparatively weak savior to make sure that God gets the credit for the victory. I mean, this is a principle all through the Bible. Paul later in, I believe it is 1 Corinthians says, when I'm weak, then I am strong. Because in my weakness, God's power can shine through me. This is what God does in our trials. And in that instance, Paul says, therefore I am content with persecutions, with trials, with hunger, with all, I'm content with all these trials because I know it will show the glory and power of God. And so it is in our lives. It is not until the world is tightening so, so got its grip on us so much that we can't even breathe that we feel the true relief of God swooping in and saving us. It's not until the situation is impossible and we see no way that it can go well that we see the God who does the impossible over and over again. I say over and over again because I've just seen it over and over again in my life and I'm no one and nothing special. God simply lets me get in trials all the time. I don't know what that means. I mean, I, I got to watch for my obedience, right? Like, is, am I getting myself in these trials? I got to make sure my expectations are right. All right, am I, am I making heaven on earth right now when I need to have my mind set on heaven, not, not be trying to live it here? Or is God just trying to show me his glory? And I'm telling you, I get in impossible situations more often than you'd think that I'm just like, there is no way that this can turn out well. I'm in big trouble. And then by, by the time I put my head down on my pillow that night, I say, God, I cannot believe how you worked that out. I never would have guessed that. I never would have even seen that as an option for you to work it out this way, yet you did it. I lacked strength. I lacked wisdom. I lacked ability. I lacked anything. I was only at your mercy. And you did it. You showed your glory to me. And let me tell you something. I would not trade those moments for anything. No amount of comfort, no amount of ease, no amount of immediate success would I trade for the trials that reveal the glory of God to me. And I hope the same is true for you. We need to know the comfort of God far more than we need our lives to be comfortable. We need to know the power of God far more than we need immediate success when we go and try to attempt things. What we need is to see, know, experience, worship, and spread the glory of God in this world. That is what we need, and that's what God does. 
most often through trials. And so the question before us today is, how are we going to respond when trials come upon us? Are we going to get angry at God? Are we going to point at him and say, why have you allowed this evil to come upon us? Why did you even send me? Things have only gotten worse since I did what you told me to do. Or are we going to take stock of our lives? Okay, God, I'm in this trial. Is there some area that I'm not being obedient? Is there some area that I'm still walking in sin or not doing what you have commanded me to do? And it's an opportunity to let God set your expectations. Okay, God, have I made an idol out of earthly things, earthly comfort, earthly possessions, and you're, you're trying to set my eyes back on heaven to expect that this will not be heaven on earth? Is that what you're doing, God? Because I, I want to set my, my eyes on, on eternal things, not on temporary things that are just going to pass away. And finally, I would say, God, I can't wait to see your glory in this. That's a good place to be when you're in the middle of a trial. To say, I don't know how this is going to turn out well. I have no idea, but God, I'm excited to see your glory in this. Don't let me miss it. God, don't let me think that I figured it out and got myself out of this trial. Let me see that it was you. Don't let me think that I strength, you know, strong arm my way through this. Let me see that it was your mighty arm. I'm telling you, God will show you his glory. God will show you his glory. It'll make the trials different. It won't make the situation easier, but you'll have hope, joy, peace, and, and you'll be faithful through it. That makes all the difference in the world when trials come upon us. We have a good God, a good father. We never should be suspect of his motivations. He's not like a kid trying to fry us with a magnifying glass, watching us squirm. He's like a loving father who wants to mold us, shape us, and give us himself. Let's pray. Father God, we come humbly before you and say we have responded badly to trials in the past. I know I have. But God, we want things to be different. We want to be trained by your word, by this example from the lives of Moses, Aaron, and Israel. We want to not seek trials, but also not fear them. And while we may not enjoy the trial itself, God, would you help us to remain faithful to the trial, to entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Oh God, we want that from our lives. And more than anything else, God, we want to see your glory. And so if trials is how you bring it, God, Help us to trust you in those trials and to see as much of your glory as we possibly can so that we can worship you, so that we can trust you, and so that we can share you with those around us to tell them of your faithfulness, your strength, and your glory. Oh God, we need you for this. And we ask that you would do it in the name of Jesus. Amen.